Hi, I'm Anoush. And I'm Philippa. And in this special series of the New Statesman podcast, we're looking at the politics of climate change in the run-up to COP26 and asking whether enough is being done to make a difference. What are we talking about today? So today we're looking at infrastructure. How do we better design the communities in which we live and the systems that underpin them to make sure they run on clean sources of energy and we don't waste any energy? What's holding Great Britain back from improving our homes and workplaces? And what support does such change need from the top? Today's episode is in association with Smart Energy GB, the GB-wide campaign to help everyone understand the benefits of smart meters. We have two special guests today. Adrian Joyce is the Secretary General of EuroACE, the European Alliance of Companies for Energy Efficiency in Buildings. He's been a practicing architect and a former director of the Architects Council of Europe. And Jagen McNeil, Head of Policy at Smart Energy GB. Thanks so much for joining us. Delighted to be here. Uh, Good to be here. First of all, let's kick off the discussion by asking how seriously is the construction and architectural sector taking the issue of climate change. And obviously, we'll be speaking mainly about the UK and the EU in our discussion. Adrian, do you want to come in first? Yeah, thanks, Anoush. I think the architectural and construction sector is taking the renovation challenge seriously. And I'm very happy to say that after many years of advocating for those sectors to take this challenge more seriously than they had been doing, let us say, in the 90s and early part of this century. What we see is that a realization dawned about 10 years ago that the energy performance of the building stock is nothing like what it should be or nothing like what it can be. And why is it important Why is it important to have a highly energy performing building stock? It's because our buildings consume 40% of primary energy and emit 36% of greenhouse gas emissions. So that without addressing this energy use in buildings, we simply can't reach long-term climate uh, goals, either at UK level or at EU-wide level. The challenge has always seemed difficult and complex And indeed, it is a multifaceted challenge that needs to be addressed. And the right answer to such a challenge is to bring all stakeholders together and to bring them together in a collaborative way where each can learn from the other and come behind a vision uh, for what the building stock should be in the future. Architects have a skill to conceive of a fully integrated built environment that maybe the other professionals don't don't have. However, for a very long time, the architectural profession really focused mainly on new build and didn't see renovation as a field for special attention of the profession. I'm very glad to say that is changing. And we now see several campaigns where architects have got together and they are working to understand from a design perspective, what are the design strategies that are most palatable to building owners to lead to highly energy efficient and decarbonized uh, buildings. All of this is extremely encouraging because after all, architects tend to be the ones who specify the materials and the approach that's used to create our built environment. But as I said earlier, it's about collaboration across all stakeholders. And we also need to bring on board building owners, construction companies, 
financiers, bankers, etc. And all of those together will ultimately make the right uh, conditions for for facing the renovation challenge that faces both the UK and the EU. Thanks, Adrian. That, that's super interesting and I think sets the scene really well for, for where we are today. The Renovate Europe campaign that you head has been going for, for 10 years. It's your 10th birthday, so uh, congratulations. Could you give us a bit of a, a sign of what's actually happened within that time? Because I think the renovation rate in, in the EU and I think in the UK as well is still around 1% a year. So what's been achieved in that time? Is it setting the, the ground for being able to move forward now? Renovating people's homes, making their houses warmer, reducing energy seems like a total no-brainer, um, yet it's still not happening. So is it finance that's the real block here or is there something else which is stopping it happening? Yeah, Philip, uh, in 2011, when we started the Renovate Europe campaign, no high-level politician was using the word renovation or so few that you could never pick up on it. I'm delighted to say that today, and I think in large part due to our efforts and the partners that, that have joined the campaign, the renovation of the building stock is at the top of most political agendas, particularly with the recovery plans that are now uh, being adopted among member states and in the UK to help us emerge successfully from the uh, economic impact of the COVID crisis. So over this uh, period of time, what we've seen is a shift in the mindset where we've moved away from buildings being seen as privately owned objects to being a kind of societal good. And the need has been recognized for improving the performance of that common good for the benefit of all. I'm The common knowledge is that the renovation rate, energy renovation rate in Europe is 1%. However, when you break that down, you find that the vast majority of those renovations are cosmetic and are not bringing anything like a, a good improvement in the performance of buildings. About 80% of all of those renovations are achieving less than 60% of uh, savings. So only 0.2% of buildings are getting what we would consider an energy renovation per year. Because for us, a deep renovation starts at 60% savings, not below that uh, threshold. So moving from that to a rate that would be required to uh, transform the entire building stock, which is a rate of 3% per year, is clearly a massive challenge. And when we look at where the, the, the bottlenecks are, Indeed, financing has, over time, been a serious bottleneck. But frankly, it's not the availability of financing, it's the access to financing that has been difficult. Because there is a very high amount of money available, and now with a dramatically increasing um, interest from bankers in sustainable finance and in what's called green investment or green bonds, we are seeing even more availability of financing coming on stream. The question is, how do we get that money flowing? And we're not succeeding in getting that money flowing, I think, because there isn't a, an adequate desire among building owners to enter the renovation challenge and ask for their buildings to be upgraded. In the Netherlands, for office buildings, a goal was set that no office building could be let in 2023 and later, if the energy performance of that building was worse than C-class. And by 2030, all office buildings will have to be A-class. 
So you have this signaling of what the standard will be in the future. And in the Netherlands, this has stimulated a very large amount of energy renovation of office buildings. And even by the end of this year, all buildings, office buildings in the Netherlands will be C-class. So this is one mechanism that can be used to encourage and upscale renovation. How does that work in terms of private housing then? Because a new statesman published a a leak of the the UK government's heat decarbonisation strategy this weekend. And there is still this clear concern that by setting such signals to say that people have to renovate their homes, that there will be a massive cost passed on to consumers. So how do we, what financing systems can be put in place by the government so it's not the consumer who's having to bear these costs, especially in the current situation whereby people are already facing very high energy bills? We know the amount of investment needed to address the challenge in the building sector is so great that it cannot be supplied entirely by public funding. So the governments and the member states of the EU and the Commission itself will only play a part in funding the renovation challenge. We believe that the amount required in the EU per year, in addition to what's being spent today, is around 275 billion euro. That means that in a 10-year period to 2030, we're going to be looking at an investment near 3 trillion euro. And that is not going to come from public funds. But you ask a very pertinent question. How can you get homeowners to put their hands in their own pockets? Or how can you provide them with loans that are favorable enough that they will want to renovate their buildings? Well, one answer that we're supporting is the idea of introducing mortgage portfolio standards, where banks would look at their mortgage portfolios, and they would be required to report on what the average energy performance of the full portfolio is. I think that the key thing is a high proportion of people own their own homes, and a high proportion of those homes have equity that's un- that's untapped. And having a mortgage portfolio standard could lead to banks making proposals for attractive products that would encourage people to release that equity into energy renovation against the promise that once you energy renovate, you have energy savings for the lifetime of the building. And particularly when you've included digitalization, smart meters, other monitoring equipment that maintain those savings over time, then you are guaranteeing to a person the promise of low energy bills over time. Because it doesn't matter if the unit price goes up, if the overall amount of units you have to buy is driven down by good energy efficiency policies, then your bill is going to be low. And I think that's a a key message in this time when everyone is concerned about the geopolitical pressures that are driving up energy uh, prices. I think we've always said it, drive down the energy demand, make the demand very low, and then you have an inexpensive or affordable bill. And secondly, you can fulfill that that, that residual demand by renewable energy sources, green sources, because green sources like low temperature heat, they don't like high demand. And once it's a low demand, you have a broader range of renewable sources that can fulfill that demand. Great. Thank you so much, Adrian. And I wanted to just bring Jagen in here because Adrian very thoroughly lays out that renovation challenge. And it's something you must have come across in in Smart Energy's sort of mission to integrate change into infrastructure and 
and systems. I just wonder what your perspective on the renovation challenge is and how you think it can be overcome in the in, in Great Britain in particular. I think Adrian's absolutely bang on the money as, as you'd expect him to be with regards to, to, to the challenge that, that's ahead of us. It's a phenomenal challenge with regards to not just making sure that our new stock is, is great, energy efficient, all the bells and whistles that you would expect from, from a new property, but that we don't forget the stock and the, and the vast majority of our stock is existing stock. From a personal perspective, I was brought up on the Outer Hebrides in a thick stone wall croft house, which we still have. I've actually inherited the house from my late father, and, and I'm now looking at what can I do to make it more energy efficient. It's off gas grid, it's predominantly powered by electricity, and the heating comes from domestic oil. But it's a house that hasn't been really renovated in the past 30 to 35 years. And from a personal experience, I know the challenge because I have to look at what I can do to make sure that house is warm and watertight, because I know at the moment it is hugely inefficient. But my father's house is one of many thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of houses that are exactly in the same position. And it, it is a huge challenge. Luckily, as Adrian says, the conversation has changed from not talking about it to actually really starting to look at what the issues are. And from, from our perspective, as, as the organization behind the, the, the communications of the, the smart meter rollout, we're constantly talking about improving your own energy efficiency behaviors in your home. And that's great. Getting smart energy technology in your home that allows you to have control over your energy consumption is fantastic. You can start making decisions on when and how you are using your energy. The problem is that there's only so much you can do if that building is not as efficient as it potentially could be. And that conversation really has to gather pace because the, the houses, the stock isn't getting any younger. The problems aren't getting any easier to challenge. And as we've seen recently, the costs of heating our homes and managing our, our household finances is getting increasingly difficult. So the challenge is, is very much ahead of us. The good thing is that the conversation has started, but we certainly feel time is not on our side. We really need to pick up the conversation. And the fact that governments, and if we look even at the, the domestic governments of the UK, in Westminster, Holyrood, and in Cardiff, they do have programs to try and improve the efficiency of the homes, which is fantastic. The fact that there's money being put on the table, the question could be, is it enough? Is it going in the right places? Are the people who really need it, do they understand that support is there? Now, I'm lucky. I know what support could be there uh, if, if I needed it. But I'm not necessarily sure somebody who was not in my position would understand that support is there. And are they constantly living in a vicious circle of earning money just to heat their homes to then disappear through the walls or through the ceiling or out, out the windows? There's, the conversation to us has to pick up pace, really get on and actually getting on with the challenges. I think that, and I hope Aidan agrees with this, in terms of the time for talking is past. It's actually now the time for action and actually getting on and delivering these things because I say that stock isn't getting younger and the challenge isn't getting any easier.
Yeah, I think that's a really good point you make there about, Jürgen, about homes in the UK are often a lot older uh, than they are in other European countries, which may add extra challenges. We talk a lot about climate and energy, which is clearly the focus of this. But I also wanted to ask you about health in terms of what are the benefits or, of having a, a home which is energy efficient and, and has cleaner sources of energy. A second part to that, are there specific challenges related to older housing in terms of, of ventilation, which if we insulate can make the homes perhaps less healthy than they would be otherwise? I can start briefly and then hand over to the architectural expert. From our perspective, health is, is critical to, to lots of things, obviously. But living in an unhealthy, damp, uh, cold home is just exacerbating so many problems. Again, if I look at my own personal experiences of growing up in, in, in the Hebrides, where typically the houses were croft houses, old houses. My father's house was built in 1906 and the, the original walls are still behind the plasterboard. And as soon as the heating goes off, I can feel immediately the cold coming through. It's almost within seconds. And I just wonder about somebody who's in that position all the time. Now, I go to my father's house several times a year, but somebody who's in that position 365 days, it is not a healthy position for them to be in. And improving the fabric of the building is so critical in order for them to live healthy lives. There is also the issue of this vicious circle of health conditions where someone is admitted to hospital because of a chest condition, because of their living conditions. They get better, then they go back to their cold home, and then they go back into hospital again. And it's this kind of continual circle of inefficiency that exists because of the, the fabric of the building. And it's really critical that we do look at the, the, the potential solutions and look at everything, look at it holistically, rather than should it just be new windows? Should it just be new insulation? Should it just be a new heating system? It has to be a more holistic answer to rather than just fixing one part of it in order to get people out of that, that, that cycle of, of wellness and, and, uh, and unwellness because of the, the fabric of the building. And for us, to a degree, smart technology has a part to play in that to help identify the areas where people are really struggling to, to make sure that people are able to heat their homes to a, to a suitable level, to avoid having health conditions. I think that for me, the problem is that we fix bits and we fix bits there and other bits over there, and they don't always link up to being the, the entire solution that's needed. And I think that's the bit that's missing. I think Adrian spoke about partnership and multi-stakeholder approach. And I think that happens should happen at every single level, whether that's at community care level or whether it's the policymakers level, everything should be linked up. And at the moment, it just seems a bit all over the place and not necessarily coming up with a holistic solution that will allow us to deliver healthy homes in order for people to, to live, live there more independently and not worry about the impact it's going to have on their health, on their bills and, and their incomings as well. Yeah, Philippa, you've brought a very good question here about health. And uh, coming back to an earlier question, um, this is one of the areas where we've seen uh, big changes in the last 10 years, because 10 years ago, it was very uh, hard to get anyone to believe that the quality of your home or your office building had an impact on your health. Whereas nowadays, that's fully recognized and embedded in policy uh, thinking and in uh, approaches to renovation strategies. Maybe some figures would be helpful. There are tens of thousands of premature deaths in Europe each year due to unhealthy indoor environments where damp causes mold and the spores cause lung disease and then hospitalizations occur. It's having a huge financial burden on the European Union and the UK suffers greatly from these aspects. 
if I remember correctly, about 50 billion euro per year could be saved in health systems across the EU if we had properly renovated homes. But renovations, as Jagen said, that are integrated, that don't just have single measures at any one time. We in the Renovate Europe campaign and in Euroways always call for integrated or holistic approaches where you put together the right set of measures in each project so that you deliver the optimum result for that building because buildings differ greatly. You asked also, Philippa, whether older buildings pose bigger challenges and Jagen has brought his personal story to the table. For Jagen, I can say that there's some great work that's been undertaken by Scottish Heritage for the hand of buildings you were talking about, Croft Homes, and there's a lot that can be done. Up to 60% savings has been demonstrated in those kinds of buildings, and they vastly improve the comfort and reduce the energy bills. And I hope you can get off home heating oil soon because we've got to stop burning fossil fuels, don't we? But there is, uh, heritage buildings have got a bit of a bad press sometimes because uh, there's a perception that there's no solution for improving the energy performance of those buildings. That's not true. There are good solutions that can deliver, depending on the building, anywhere from 30 to over 70% savings without damaging the cultural or heritage quality of the building. So it is possible, but it has to be done with a full design team who together have the skills to bring the right solutions to bear. And Philippe, you mentioned insulation and ventilation we had a slogan 20 years ago where we said insulate tight ventilate right because you can't insulate and not ventilate because you build in problems if you do that and so this holistic approach i keep coming back to it it's really very important and thinking about digitalization digitalization is also important not just for managing the systems over time but to gather data on the real performance of buildings that can then be aggregated and built into future policies and programs so that we're constantly learning from doing and improving the programs moving forward. If you've been enjoying our podcast and want to find out more about what we think and some of our colleagues too, then why not subscribe to The New Statesman? You can get 12 weeks for £12. Go to newstatesman.com forward slash subscribe 12. I did want to ask actually about the social justice angle of all of these changes. Far from the Outer Hebrides, I'm uh, speaking to you all from a ex-local authority 60s block in in London, run by a particularly stingy housing association, and we have problems with we have problems with black mold and leaks and all other things. And I cannot imagine the the tenants here not having to shoulder, at least in the short term, the costs of renovating this building in line with the ways that we've just been discussing. So, how do we stop this fall, falling on the shoulders of those who can afford it least, or at least can afford least to wait for? it to start paying for it for itself if you see what i mean Jürgen, would you like to come in first and then we'll hear from adrian i think we've always got an issue with good and bad landlords some are very proactive some building owners are absolutely fantastic i've been a, a private renter in the past in my student days and i've had good ones i've had bad ones i've had very proactive ones who have really 
gone above and beyond what I would expect because they genuinely saw their property as an investment. They didn't just see it as a moneymaker. They saw it as something that providing they can continue to invest in, that they will get the return over time, whether that's higher rent yield or whether it's a, a bigger sales at the end, if that's what they decide to do. So the private rented sector in particular is a very mixed bag. And we're doing a piece of work with, with that at the moment to make sure that there is no barrier to upgrading your home as a tenant, that you can employ everything that's available to you as, as a tenant, but also that you're, you're in a comfortable position having a conversation with your landlord to encourage them to invest in the property. And whether that is improving the efficiency, the, the insulation, or improving the tech that's in the home, we really want to make sure that tenants have more in the driving seat rather than in a position where they're always having to chase the landlord or really be having awkward conversations about their living circumstance, their living uh, conditions. So we really need that to change where building owners, property owners, landlords, letting agents really turn their attitude around so that the buildings aren't just seen as a cash cow or as something that oh, can be a bit of a hassle because I don't want to be contacted by the tenant, but really see it as, a, as, a, as an asset and an investment. And the more you, you plow into it, the, the, the bigger return you're able to yield. But it does come with a cost, and there is absolutely no doubt about that. Where should it sit? It's a million-dollar question, but it's, we don't want those who are in vulnerable, low-income jobs having to bear the brunt of upgrading properties in order just to be able to eat or to do some of the essential things in life. And there needs to be a more honest discussion around where the support is available. And I know I'm, I'm based in Scotland and I see the support systems that come from partly from the UK government, but also through the devolved government here in Scotland. There's a lot of support out there, but again, I'm not sure everybody knows it exists and I'm not sure everybody knows how to access it, and that is a big issue. I've spoken in the past to, to some of the energy advice groups that exist, and, and say we sometimes can't give the money away because people don't know we're here. And at the end of the year, we're always giving money back to the centre because we weren't able to, to give it out. So there's a big issue with regards to understanding the, the financial support that is available to the, to the housing sector, whether that's you as, a, as an owner, whether you're a tenant or a landlord, but the problem is, there is an under, a lack of understanding as to how to act and what the benefit of that investment will be. And I think that's the conversation that needs to change as well, to make sure people understand that buildings are assets, they're not just money makers. So Anusha, in agreeing with uh, Jagen that buildings are assets, not just places to live, I think understanding a bit of the diversity of ownership patterns is really important. Uh, and when we look across Europe, we see that over 50 million uh, households are in risk of energy poverty and that's i suppose what we're talking about here and our view is that in this time of economic recovery and building resilience all of the money that's being earmarked for grants and for direct subsidies should be directed towards the vulnerable because those who can afford to take a loan should be taking a loan and the loan the types of loans available should be not just simple necessarily repayment loans, but could be loans tied to the property rather than to the person, loans that are backed by guarantee funds. So public money can be used for the guarantees to underwrite loans in the private sector. And an understanding that the risk associated with a loan to uh, do energy efficiency works is about 50% lower than any other kind of loan. 
what I mean here is that when banks loan to homeowners or building owners to do energy efficiency works, they find that the default rate is halved compared to standard mortgages, for example. Uh, and that should build confidence within the financing sector that this is a really promising sector for investment at this time. And I prefer to use the word investment, Jagen, rather than costs, in, in, indeed, because uh, a homeowner or a landlord speaks business terms. And when you are upgrading, this is an investment in your asset to uh, future-proof it, to make it more resilient, to make it more attractive to future tenants, and to retain existing tenants. These are all factors that come to play when trying to overcome the split incentive. We talked earlier about renovation rates and debts. In fact, when we look at Europe as a whole, the sector that does the best is the social housing sector, because social housing associations always have a maintenance budget. They always have a need for maintaining their properties. And they find it easier to put their head into the financial space of taking on a big loan to do a comprehensive renovation of their, of, of say, a park like the building you're sitting in, Anoush, mm. and against the promise that it'll be future-proofed, the tenants will be happier, they will stay longer, the rental income will remain stable for a, a long period of time. And so the socialising sector across Europe as a whole probably already has a 3% renovation rate for its stock. And in many of the cases, it's deep renovation that they're going for and not piecemeal uh, renovation. So a lot of diversity in housing, a lot of issues around split incentive, a lot of ways of financing, but a lot of support now for a just transition of the building stock and for the burden to go on those who can afford it and not those who can't afford it, who are already suffering. And before we finish, just the one thing we haven't talked about is whether we actually have the workforce to do this and, and whether people are qualified with the skills. And perhaps, Adrian, you could just give us a bit of background in terms of the EU and the UK as to where we are on that and what governments need to do to make sure we have the workforce to be able to carry out this renovation. Yeah, the workforce to carry out this level of renovation is not there at this present time. And there are a number of things that can be done and that, that should be done. First of all, there's an upskilling required for the existing workforce. So the workforce uh, and each trade understands how their work impacts on the other trades because it's that holistic approach again. Uh, each piece of work impacts on every other part of the, the building in order to build energy performance. The second thing is the number of workers we have in the construction sector at the present time in the EU around 16 million workers. A high proportion of them are aging, so they're getting into their 50s, and a very low proportion are coming into the sector. So there is a profile problem as well for construction. It is still, believe it or not, perceived as being difficult, dirty, and dangerous to be in the construction sector, and that's an outdated image. It is significantly cleaner, significantly safer, and significantly more innovative than it has been in the past. And I think that's one of the areas where we should focus more thinking, more policy, is into can we industrialize more the uh, renovation process? Can we bring some of the practices indoors, so in factory conditions, with uh, mass customization, with 3D surveying of existing buildings and digital tools, can we make renovation of buildings more attractive to young people, to women, 
where the heavy work, the outdoor work, is minimised dramatically. Let me talk about Energy Sprung for a moment. It's being rolled out in the UK. This is an approach for a whole building renovation, which involves the building of panels, wall panels and roof panels in factory conditions, short preparation on site, and a house can be renovated from its current terrible condition to zero energy bills in four days of on-site work. So these new models, these innovative business models exist, and I'm hopeful that they will be upscaled in time because that approach, I think, could transform how people perceive construction and could, once again, increase the desire of people to ask for their homes or their offices to be renovated. That was a fascinating discussion. Thank you to our guests, Adrian Joyce and Jürgen McNeil. Thanks so much for coming on and for taking the time to speak to us. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. You can find out more information about the Smart Energy GB campaign and join the energy revolution by searching Get a Smart Meter. You've been listening to a special episode of the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleague, Philippa Nuttall, Environment and Sustainability Editor at the New Statesman. Our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons, and our producer is Adrian Bradley. 